You're listening to the Acts, How the Gospel Changes the World series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Man, all, all four songs we sang tonight just illustrate some part of the gospel that is wonderful, and some part of the gospel that has changed our lives. And, uh, and I'm excited about the direction we're going as a church. I'm excited about the fact that it seems like we're getting more and more excited about this and passionate about the gospel and, and staying faithful to Jesus Christ. Um, but I hope we understand that it, it is worth everything we have. And there should be nothing we hold back. We are not hedging our bets in this thing. Um, we are all in for Christ. I wanted to start this evening with a question for you. And my question was, have you ever found yourself in a place that you never wanted to leave? Have you ever gone on a vacation or been in, in a situation with someone and you just felt like you never wanted it to end? You never wanted to leave. You just loved it there so much, you wish you could stretch this on forever. I know I've been there many times. Um, you feel this type of peace. You, you feel like you're without worries. You're, you're without all of the stress that comes with life. You're, you're not worried about your kids. <laughs> and that's, that's a lot of things we worry about now. Um, but you're at this place in your life where you want it to keep going. Well, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 26 tonight, I was thinking as Brian and Cindy were, were watching Josh get baptized this morning, how as a parent, they're probably at that place in their life where they kind of just wish they could put pause. Watching their child stand up in front of the church, saying he's a born-again believer, that he loves Christ, and he wants to obey him in baptism. That's just a wonderful thing. And the truth is, our lives, we go through hard times, we go through troubles, but it is wonderful that God gives us those times of victory and success, and it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect from now on, but those are the times that we want to hang on to. Well, I'm going to let you in on something tonight about myself that you might not know. When we get into a text of Scripture, when I'm studying for a passage and studying for a group of messages, I get emotionally attached to that Scripture. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking... Dan, I wish maybe you didn't because maybe you wouldn't spend so much time there. Um, and maybe you're thinking that. I don't know. Some of you are thinking, Dan, I didn't know you had emotions. <laughs> That's probably the bulk of you are thinking that. And, and it's true, I do. Uh, I get emotionally attached to a couple things. One of them is the story Christmas Shoes. Does anybody know that song? I'm, I was in a mall one time and the song came over the thing. I had to find a corner and just pretend like that corner, I was really interested in what was going on there because... Uh, and it's weird. It's like it's a story about a, a mother or a, who's dying and a son who just so badly wants to buy her a pair of shoes. <laughs> it's sweet. Um, I don't know why that song does it, but it shouldn't, but it does. Um, well, another thing that I get emotionally attached to is passages of Scripture, and, and, I, and I'm emotionally attached to my kids and my wife and, and other things that I should be attached to as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know why it is. And so... I came to last week thinking this is my last week in Acts chapter 26. And, and really, if we were to take Paul's life and break it into sections, we would have like the first section would be his salvation, his conversion. After that, we'd probably say, okay, now he's in his ministry in Antioch. And, and then we might kind of section the next three sections as like, okay, missionary journey number one, number two, number three. And then we'd go into this, this phase of, of endless trials. And then his final section would be his journey to Rome. 
So even though we've only been in, in the Acts chapter 26 for four sermons so far, I feel like we've been in this story, this, this chapter of Paul's life, where he's in trial after trial after trial already for a year. It was November 11th when we first got into Acts chapter 21. That's the beginning of this, this story. And so it was coming to an end last week, and I was so sad. <laughs> and then I realized that, hey, I can, I can get one more week out of this. <laughs> and so we're here this week again in Acts chapter 26, because I can't let it go. And, and hopefully, more importantly, because there is a wonderful lesson here for us. What we've done in Acts chapter 26 is we've looked at, at, at sections. We've looked at five or six or, or ten verses at a time. What I want to do tonight is I want to look at the, the whole discussion that Paul has with Agrippa and see what lesson we get when we look at the entire thing. And so let's pray tonight and then we'll get into our lesson. Father, we do love you and, and Lord, we need you. We are people that need you desperately. And not just for salvation, Lord. We need you every day. And God, I pray that you'd give me the words to say tonight, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. If it doesn't, Lord, and if your Spirit doesn't speak through your word and through uh, my words tonight, Lord, that this meeting was in vain. And so, God, I, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that we would be willing to confront things in our own lives that we ought to change and work on and and. God, I pray that we would be just moldable in your hands. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that through it and through you, you give us everything we do need. And though we're so needy, we can look to you for everything. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there is any command given by Christ in Scripture and seen throughout Scripture that makes us somewhat uncomfortable, it seems to be that command to evangelize. The Great Commission was given to the church. It wasn't given just to the pastor. It wasn't given just to the evangelist, though some people are very gifted in that area. It was given to all of the disciples. It was given to all disciples of Christ, and we are all a part of that. And when I look at this church, I, I really do see a wonderful church. There are people who would give you the shirt off their back, and sometimes you might just want to give it back to them, but they'd be willing to do anything for you right? I mean, make meals, take care of people, pray for people, and really pray and really care. I mean, we got a great church. I don't think we realize how wonderful it is to be in a place like this. But I do think that, that if we were to take a look at our church and say, okay, because of this church this week, how many people heard the gospel? How many times was the gospel shared by you or the person sitting next to you? or by this congregation, to people who don't know the gospel, who aren't saved, who don't know Christ. I fear that it might be lower than it should be. Okay? Now, we're not about numbers. We, we want the, the Holy Spirit to work and to guide and to lead us. But I do think that Christians as a whole, and, and even us, even myself, absolutely, have this, this trouble when it comes to the command to share the gospel. It's like we're willing to get other things straight, but that's just a step that we find very hard to take. But it's a matter of obedience. The command stands. You, my friend, are called to be a witness of the gospel. And I'm glad that we're not left on our own to figure out how to do it. When we look through the New Testament, we find over and over again Jesus and Paul and Peter teaching us how we're supposed to share the gospel. Teaching us how to do it. We have... Things like Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Okay, so we speak the truth to people, absolutely, we need to do that. We do it in love. 
We look to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And so what, is, what, what do we do when we, we're sharing the gospel? We make sure that our speech, as we're speaking to people, is, is seasoned with grace. That we come across graciously. That we give people the light they need in a kind and loving way. Titus 2.8 says, Sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. He's saying that, that our speech, our, our general conversation all the time, should be a conversation that other people, when they look at us, would not be able to see all the faults in our lives, all the inconsistencies in what we say we believe and what we do. We should have sound speech that cannot be condemned. The, a couple of verses later, Titus 2 verse 10 says that our lives should adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We should be living out the gospel in our lives. Because when we do that, we make the gospel look good. We make the teachings of God look like they ought to look, as beautiful as they are. Philippians 2.15 says that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our life should be marked by holiness. We should be blameless. We should be harmless. Okay, we are the sons of God, and so we have a duty to live as lights in our world. We're given the how-to many times. Philippians 2.16 goes on to say that we're supposed to hold forth the word of life. It's our job to, to bring the gospel to people, to hold it forth. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should be ready. We should be prepared. This is the how-to. What do you do if you want to share the gospel? Well, you'll get yourself prepared. Get, get ready. Sanctify God in your hearts. Set yourself apart to Him and, and have His place over your entire life, entire being, so that when it comes a time to give an answer for the hope that's in you, you're ready to give it and you can give it in meekness and fear. You can give it in love. You can give it the right way. Be ready. 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. We understand the how-to, that there are times that we might suffer because of our sharing of the gospel. We might suffer because we're a Christian. That's okay. We ought to glorify and magnify God in those times. And so we're given so many how-tos. But I believe, here in Acts chapter 26, we don't just have a how-to, we have Paul showing us how. There's a difference between just the command and then seeing all of these things lived out in, in someone's life. So Paul so often wrote to believers to say, this is how you share the gospel. This is how you live your life so that you're a light. And now he says, and, and, I'm, and I'm doing it. I'm going to show you how. Acts chapter 26 is one of the most beautiful presentations of the gospel that we have in the book of Acts, in, in the New Testament. It's a wonderful presentation. And so I think there's a lot we can learn from Paul about how to be a persuasive evangelist. What I want to do quickly is summarize the story here, and then we're going to look at a few character traits of Paul that we should try and emulate as we seek to share the gospel. This is a story you know very well, but just as a very quick recap, we understand Paul was, he was arrested. Eventually he found his way before a man named King Agrippa. Okay? Trial number five. He's brought before King Agrippa. Agrippa walks into this room with great pomp. He is, he's important. He's got all the leading men of the city around him, and they're all impressed by how wonderful he is. And that's what he wants. And then they bring Paul into the room, and Paul stands in the middle of them, shackled in prison clothes. 
nothing impressive about him. He is the prisoner. He is the, the criminal. And he is told at this point that he's allowed to give an answer for himself. So he begins by saying, I'm glad to be here. Although many people wouldn't be, King Agrippa, I'm glad I have the opportunity to share the gospel with you. I'm glad I can speak to you about this because I know you're an expert in, in all things Judaism. And so I, I'm glad I have this opportunity. He goes on to introduce himself and to inter, introduce the charges against him. He says, I grew up as a, as a devout Jew. I was a Pharisee. I, I was living in Jerusalem and I was the, of the straightest sect of Judaism. I practiced what I preached. I mean, I tried to live it out. I believed this stuff. He says, but now I stand you before because of our hope, collectively of the Jews, of the Messiah, and my belief that he is risen from the dead. I believe Jesus was the Messiah, that he's, he's dead and he's risen again. And he backs up a little bit and he says, listen, I, I get how that seems, but realize, I, there was one point in my life where I was a persecutor of Christians. I sought to wreak havoc in the church. I sought to kill people and, and drag them to prison. I was trying to destroy the work of Christ. That was me. But let me tell you a story. When I was on the road to Damascus with the goal of killing and, and imprisoning Christians, Jesus met me. I met God. And there was this light. I fell on the ground before him. He asked me why I was persecuting him. I said, I, I, Lord, who are you? I don't even know who you are. He says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. You're, you're going against the will of God for your life. And so I was obedient to the mission that he gave me. King Grip, I want you to know, this, this really happened to me. Jesus really met me. And he gave me a mission. He gave me a task. Now that I understand that, that I was against God, who was I now to be disobedient? And so I've been obedient. That, that's been my life since that point. He says, this is my mission. But he goes on to explain that the mission involved taking the gospel of forgiveness not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He says, I went to the Gentiles to preach that, that Christ died and that he rose again from the dead. And as he says this, he's rudely inter interrupted. Festus, who is the Roman procurator, is there, and he's, not, he's already stood trial before Festus, but Festus just, just can't take it any longer. He stands up and he says, Paul, you're crazy! All of your learning has made you crazy. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. You're insane. Paul says, in a very kind, collected voice, Most noble Festus, I'm not crazy. The things that I'm telling you are true and they're reasonable. They're rational. This is based in fact. Jesus is dead. He's risen again. And all of this, it makes sense. So Paul answers kindly. And then he turns his attention to King Agrippa. He says, Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. You know about Jesus. You know about his death and resurrection. And Agrippa understands that, that this is not just a gospel that Paul was told to go out and preach, but this was a message that has an impact on his own life. And he can't take it anymore. And so he says, do you think, Paul, do you think in such a short time, or, or I'm almost persuaded... We're not exactly sure which one, but he he's, he's, he's understands that Paul is persuading him to be a Christian. He says, do you think you're going to be able to do that? I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. you think? Paul says, Agrippa, I don't want just you to be saved. I want everybody that's listening to my voice to understand that Christ died for them. I want them all to be just like I am. 
completely surrendered to Christ, completely sold out for him, except for these chains. And Agrippa decides he's heard enough. And he stands up, and when he stands up, everybody stands up, and they leave, and later on they're seen talking about Paul and saying, well, if he didn't appeal to Caesar, he could have been let free. He's not guilty of anything. And that's our story. And this is the, the end of Paul's constant trials here in Palestine. And so I, what I want to do tonight is just take a few moments to make an application to our lives. And there's two things I, I want to understand before we actually make application. The two things are this. Number one, Paul did everything right. You, you, go, you don't, won't go through that story and say, oh, here's where Paul messed up. This was Paul's wrong turn. If he would have just talked about this instead of this, then it would have all worked out. Paul, as far as we can tell, his character was right. His words were right. There were truth. It was clear. He was doing everything he could to clearly present the truth to Agrippa and to all the people standing there. He was right. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing is, as far as we know, Paul's efforts were unsuccessful. Now, it's very possible that there were people that, that stood there and heard him and later on came to Christ, and this was a seed planted. Yeah, that, that's possible. It's possible we'll get to heaven someday, and we'll talk to some people, and they'll be like, hey, yeah, I was actually in the room when Paul was talking about his life. I was there. I, I didn't stand up then, it, it, but God was working on me, and, and later on, I, I trusted Christ. It's possible. But as far as we know, his efforts were unsuccessful. And, and I want you to understand those two things, because I think that's essential as we go into evangelism. Everything right and still unsuccessful, at least in our terms, in our eyes. Okay? That's important. Do you know why I say that's important? Because our goal is not converts. We're not keeping score. Our goal is obedience in this area of evangelism. Our goal is to please God. God didn't say that your job is to go out and make as many people believe as possible. He said we are to be witnesses of the gospel. We are to go out and we are to seek to persuade, but we are not to go out and force people or to keep score or any of those things because it's not about numbers. It's about us, as best we can with our lives and our lips, transferring the gospel into people's lives, showing them how to be saved. That's, that's our job and our duty. And, and we rely on the Holy Spirit of God to work in hearts and to show people truth. But we can't do that part. The, the Spirit has to do that. And so we're not keeping score. So having said that, what made Paul so great and what can we learn from Paul in this passage? Number one, Paul was respectful. Paul was respectful. His greeting was respectful. In Acts chapter 26, verse 2, he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all things, all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Do you know what he's saying there? Saying, Agrippa, I'm glad to stand here before you because I know you have some knowledge of these things. And so please listen to me patiently. You see the respect he has for Agrippa? Do you remember Agrippa's character? What kind of guy this was? I mean, he was, he was currently sitting beside his sister, the woman he was sleeping with. Sinful, sinful man. And called himself still a, a, at least somewhat Jewish. He was completely breaking the commands of Scripture. And yet, Paul is respectful. I think we 
justify ourselves in how we treat people sometimes that aren't saved because they're evil. Because, well, I mean, that person didn't deserve my time, my respect, my love. Because look at what they do. Paul could have so easily used that excuse here, and he didn't. He was respectful. He reacted with respect when he was rudely interrupted. In Acts chapter 26, verse 25, it says, But he said, I am not mad. I'm not crazy, most, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He's under control. He's calm, cool, collected. He didn't say, No, you're crazy. I mean, that's what, that's what I would say. And I, and I think ultimately that's what he believed. You're crazy. You're living your life for today. And, and you're going to die. And all this is gone. And what I'm saying makes sense. But he says, Most noble Festus. He's respectful. The problem is Christians are often the rude ones. We're often the ones that interrupt. We're often the ones that speak in ways that we shouldn't. We, we don't show patience. We don't show love. We don't show respect. We act like we know it all and we have it all together and we're perfect. And, and people see right through it. And they don't have time for people that aren't going to respect them and aren't going to love them. Why would they listen to you? Paul understands his need to be respectful. If you've ever been on the internet and gone to a site that had anything about Christianity, you will see in the comment section endless debates. But what always strikes me when I read those debates is not the unkindness of the secular person. It's not the world and how they say mean things. Now, they absolutely do. When you go on there, the things that they say about God and about Christianity is disgusting. It's blasphemous. That doesn't surprise me. It always surprised me how unkind and cruel Christians are when they answer or when they talk to one another. It's unfortunate. Uh, Paul saw the need to be respectful. Greg was telling me last week that there's a guy in his work that is a Christian, but he makes it his, his duty to point out the sins of every other person all the time. And, and people don't have respect for him and they get angry at him. And, and the point is not that people aren't sinners. They are sinners. And when they sin, we don't act like they don't. But we remember that we were in the same position that they're in before Christ saved us. And not only that, we still sin and we know the truth. We have less excuse than they do. And so, I think it's important for us to remember to be respectful. Paul was. Number two, Paul was transparent. He was real. He wasn't false, he wasn't fake, he wasn't a phony. He was willing here to tell his story, to interact with people. You don't get this guise of, I'm better than thou, and, and let me inform you of everything that I know. It's like, hey, Agrippa, I want to tell you my story. This was who I was growing up. This is how I messed up my life. This is, this is how I was killing Christians and persecuting Jesus and, and doing all these things against him before. This is how I was gloriously saved, and it wasn't because I was great, it was because Jesus met me and he showed me my sin. And then this is, he gave me the command, and I just, all I've done is try and do what he said. I mean, I'm not anything special. I've just been trying to be obedient to him. Paul is willing to interact with them to be real. He's willing to tell his story. He's willing to share his life. Here we find that he speaks of his failures. He gives them his personal testimony. He shares times with them when he didn't know the answers. In Acts chapter 26, verse 15, he, he tells, he says, who art thou, Lord? Agrippa, understand the situation I was in is that Jesus met me and I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew he was God, but I didn't know. He shares with him how he was unsure at times and how he was sinful and, and 
how he didn't have all the answers always. Um, He shared with them his heart. In Acts chapter 26, verse 29, he says, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. I don't imagine Paul saying those words in a way that is dispassioned. Right? I don't imagine him standing up there and saying, yeah, actually, um, as a matter of fact, I, I wish that you were all just like me. That's, that's what I wish. You know, I think it was a passionate plea. Agrippa, yes, I want you to be persuaded. And not just you, everybody here. I want them to know Christ. I want them to be just like me. That's, that's my goal. That's my life. I think he had passion. He was real. We do not share the gospel as though it is impersonal. We shouldn't share the gospel that way. It's not. It has had an effect in our life. And so what I'm saying is, when, to be real with people, don't just, don't just try and like listen to them and look for the break where you can insert Romans Road. Okay, now, now, the Romans Road is, is a wonderful plan. It is the plan of salvation. But engage with people and, and listen to them and try and share your story. But make sure that your story is connected with the Romans Road, with the gospel, with truth of salvation. You have to do that. But, but people are real people. And so treat them that way. You're real. So be real. Okay, don't downplay your failures. Try and connect with people. That's what he did. Number three, Paul was completely honest. He was persuasive, right? We see this. I mean, his presentation is a brilliant presentation. He, he was persuasive in his presentation. The way he did it, he used tactics to try and get Agrippa to the point where he could not say, well, I believe the prophets, but he was trying to get Agrippa almost into a corner. That was his goal, because ultimately he wanted the result of Agrippa trusting Christ and everybody with him. So he was persuasive, but he didn't act like a, a used car salesman, where all you do is you present the good parts and you leave out the bad, where all you do is try and make this car or this Christ look as good as possible and avoid saying anything that might make people a little bit uncomfortable. See, and that's, that's what we've done many times in our culture, is that we alter the truth, we dress it up. We try and conceal what we don't see as, as being good. We condense the things that we just wish weren't there. We try and make it palatable for people. And that's not how Paul presents the gospel. You know the two things that were distasteful for them? If there was two things that he should have left out in this conversation, it was the resurrection because they didn't believe in resurrection, and they would think you're crazy if you said you did. And it was the speaking to the Gentiles. Okay? If he would just leave out the Gentiles, leave out the resurrection, talk about Jesus and how he's a savior and how he can change your life and make everything better, if he would have done all that, he would have been successful, because who wouldn't want something like that, right? But those two things were essential for his message, and so... Though he was trying to persuade them, he, t- he was completely honest. He didn't water down the gospel. In Acts chapter 26, verse 17, in fact, back at verse 8, he says, Why do you think it's an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? So he begins saying, this is what it's all about. Why do you think it's crazy? It's not crazy. God does raise the dead. And then in Acts chapter 26, notice for those two things, the Gentiles and the resurrection. He says in verse 17, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, okay, Gentiles, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Who is he talking about? 
the Gentiles, right? Being saved. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the coast of Judea. And they'd say, yes, that's great, because that's where the Jews live. And then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should be, rise from the dead. The resurrection. And should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Doesn't it seem like he's hammering those points, even though it would be it makes sense to avoid them? Because he was not going to change his message. He was going to give it in a way that was persuasive, but it was all it all had to be there. You cannot improve upon the gospel, so don't try. You can't make Christ any better than he is. You don't need to defend God. God is who he is, and it is our job to be a witness of who he is and what he said and what the word says. And so we can do that, not try and change it. He was respectful. He was completely honest with them. He was bold and confident. He was bold and confident. I think probably this goes without saying, because when you think about Paul, probably the first words that come to your mind are boldness and zealousness and confidence. Um, But here he's confident enough to stand in a room among skeptics and put them on trial. It's pretty bold. I think what we see here, though, is that his confidence and his boldness seems to translate to, to passion, right? I mean, he is passionate about what he believes. And that's how, that's how we see his boldness. When he begins, he's, he's happy to give an answer for himself. How often are we, are we so bold and, and confident and so passionate about the gospel that we're happy to have an opportunity to share it? It's far too often we're trying to avoid those opportunities. His passion was founded upon truth and reason. This boldness that we see, it wasn't because he was just that personality. When he tells Festus why he believes what he believes and why he's doing what he's doing and he's defending himself, and Festus says he's crazy, he bases it on reason and truth. And what I'm trying to say is that we need boldness, we need confidence, but we should found that boldness and confidence in the fact that the gospel is true, that it's real, that it's rational, that, that it's, it's, it's for everybody, and then that should translate into passion. So you don't just need passion with no purpose, with no truth, with no rationality. But we need people that are rational and truthful that are also passionate and bold. And, and it seems like, very often, those two things are, get separated. You have the, the, the people who are rational, and you have the people that are zealous, and you, they can't find each other, right? It's important that we are bold and confident. Um, who wants a gospel that's presented by somebody who is impassionate? Why would anybody ever listen to us if we stood up before them, and we stood up as though we were terrified and unsure, and impassionate, and we didn't really care about them. I mean, how do we present ourselves to other people? Because if we present ourselves in any way, shape, or form that we are ashamed of what we're saying, that we're ashamed of the gospel, that we're not, we're not totally convinced that this is real, that we think that maybe they have the upper hand when it comes to reason, we're in trouble. 
nobody's ever going to listen to a gospel like that. Why would they? I wouldn't. If you didn't believe what you're telling me, if you thought you were foolish, mm. what it says to people when we are not passionate, when we're not bold, when we're not confident in our faith, it says to them that we are ashamed of our beliefs and that the gospel is not powerful enough to save. It's important. So we must be bold and confident. Finally, we must be willing to suffer. We see it in Paul's life over and over again. We must be willing to suffer. D.L. Moody said, God cannot use you until you are willing to have the world point the finger at you in scorn. Until you're willing to allow the world to think poorly of you because you want God to think well of you, God, you can't be a real minister of the gospel. Because what is going to happen, not maybe, not sometime, not if you run into the wrong person, what's going to happen if you passionately share the gospel, if you love Christ enough to share, if you love that story enough to share with people that have never heard, if you are going to be a minister of the gospel, what's going to happen is that people are going to persecute you. They are going to scorn you. It's going to happen at some point or another. So if you're not willing to do it, then you might as well not start trying. We must be willing to be scorned for our beliefs. We must be willing to suffer. Do not back down in the face of persecution. Listen, we look at, we look at Paul, we look at this story, and, and we see Paul is just this wonderful example for us, right? And maybe we think that Paul is just, he's just way too good, he's out of our league, he's, he's too crazy or too gifted or whatever it is that we could never ever be where Paul is and granted Paul was called to a very specific ministry but here's the thing if we learn anything from Paul he would tell us that it's not about him that he was saved by God's grace alone had nothing to do with him that he was given a mission and a duty by God it's not his choice it's something that God gave him to do and that he was given God's help to do it that he was empowered by the Holy Ghost, that the good things he said here, the brilliant argument, it didn't come from him, it came from the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. And so if we will not trust the Holy Spirit to do the work for us, if we will not look to him to help us, to empower us, to give us what we need to do what he's told us to do, we will never be effective evangelists. Our job is to be a witness of the gospel, to be a light to the world. We can't do it until we realize how much we need him. The New Testament is filled with commands for us. Be a witness. It shows us what it looks like. And I hope when we look at this story, we see Paul showing us how to do it. What a great opportunity to see a man, Paul, who gave his life for the gospel and the Holy Spirit working through him to do what he's commanded to do. We must be respectful. Recognize the humanity of other people and respect them and love them. We must be transparent, real with people, candid. Uh, we shouldn't come across as plastic people that have it all together. Be real. We must be completely honest. Don't try and dress up the gospel. Don't change it for anything. Okay, be completely honest. Proclaim it in all of its beauty. We must be bold and confident. We must have faith and a passion that allows us to engage people without fear, to be the salt and light we're called to be. And we must be willing to suffer. Persecution, it's just part of the deal. 
It's not optional. And until we're willing to go through it, we're not fit to be a minister of Christ. We have everything we need here. So let's go out and do it.